0: The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680, WPTF, and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm joined today by my colleague, Amanda Jones. Hi, Amanda. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the podcast, so glad to have you. Amanda is a licensed clinical social worker located in our Raleigh office. She's also a DBT therapist, DBT extraordinaire. So I'm really excited to have Amanda join today to share a little bit about DBT therapy and how it can be helpful for you. But before we jump into that, Amanda, tell the audience how you got into the field of mental health counseling. Awesome, thank you so much for having me. Sort of the brief synopsis
0: I went to school to be a teacher because I loved working with kids and helping families and kind of during that time realized that that just wasn't really feeling that need for me and so looked and saw that. In North Carolina, a lot of child therapists are LCSW, so Mm. went through the master's in social work track and started my work in community mental health, which is really kind of what led me to DBT because we saw so many clients who were really, really struggling, and DBT was one of the therapy models that just showed so much wonderful progress and so much opportunity for those folks. And so then
1: transitioning from there to 180, been something that's kind of formed me as a therapist in the work that I do. That's wonderful. And I know you do amazing work with your clients. So so tell the audience right out of the gate, what is DBT? What does that stand for? Sure. So DBT is Dialectical Behavior Therapy. It's a therapy model that's really based on
0: behavior. One of the main questions that's kind of the the grounding force behind it is what is the function of this behavior? Mm -hmm. What is it that this behavior is trying to solve or to manage in some way? It was founded, by Dr. Marsha Linehan. And she was really studying suicidal ideation and suicidal behaviors, particularly in women. And that was kind of the basis of her framework. And through her research found and sort of constructed the DBT model and found it to be just incredibly helpful. So that's just like a brief history of.
1: And I know if someone does a quick Google search of Mm -hmm. DBT, they're gonna find some different disorders or personality disorders that Mm -hmm. DBT really helps and might have been created for, but we're finding it so much more, right? It Absolutely. treats so much more than that. So share a little bit about who DBT is beneficial for.
0: Absolutely. So DBT is sort of the gold model for treatment regarding suicidal behaviors and self-harm or what's often sometimes called as non-suicidal self-injury. Mm. Um, over time, DBT has been found to be incredibly helpful with borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorders, depression, disordered eating, really severe anxiety, trauma. And part of that's because One of the four pieces of sort of the larger context of DBT focuses on trauma. And Mm -hmm. because oftentimes, as you well know with your history Mm -hmm. in trauma, that can bring around really significant emotional dysregulation. And that's really what DBT wants to help fix is that type of emotional dysregulation that leads to these really harmful and challenging behaviors.
1: I know you just mentioned the word trauma which Mm -hmm. makes me think about this traumatic society I feel we're living in, so much divisiveness, so much division in our society these days, and that is traumatic for everyone. Absolutely. So how can DBT be helpful for someone who is maybe just experiencing the trauma of the division of our society?
0: Sure. So I think the thing that comes to mind when you ask that question for me, Sarah, is the real concept in the root of the word dialectic. So a dialectic is... The definition Mm -hmm. is a synthesis or integration of opposites. Realistically, this belief that two opposing things can both be true at the same time. Recognizing, I think that's very hard when we live in this space of black and white thinking or this either or. DBT really pushes us and teaches us how to find the and Mm -hmm. instead of the but. And I think that's where DBT can be really helpful kind of in this space you know as we're existing and living right
1: now yeah it makes me think of being able to hold two things at the same time yes. i love talking to my clients and although i'm not specifically a dbt trained therapist <laughs> like you are but you know we can use the the skills of dbt in our regular practice and yes. certainly we talk about holding two things at the same time how can i be joyful and mm-hmm. sad at the same time yes. how can i feel hold this way and that way at the same time. And I think it's the gift of being able to hold two things at the same time.
0: Absolutely. We talk a lot about looking to find the gray, mm. right? Those pieces of the both. Things like change and acceptance that I am so frustrated with where things are and I want them to change. And there are things that I cannot change and having to hold both of those truths together kind of in a short form things like I love my family and I need my alone time. Right. Right. That they don't have to be mutually exclusive in the way that we'll often approach when we're coming from that place of black and white thinking,
1: mm-hmm. which which uh, that that black and white that all or nothing thinking mm-hmm. just keeps people stuck. Oh, yes. a lot of time. So I can see how you know noticing and understanding that there are dialectics in life and both can be true at the same time. Absolutely, How helpful and therapeutic that can be. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about some of the components of DBT. How does this treatment actually work?
0: Sure. So one of the sort of larger contextual pieces of DBT is this idea of states of mind. And so I'm going to take everybody back to elementary school, mm-hmm. which is another like Favorite of mine. Please
1: wait, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go back to (laughs) elementary school. (laughs) No, no, I'll go to elementary. I don't want to go back to middle or high school. So take me back to elementary. Thousand percent forever.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely agree.
1: So if y'all remember a Venn diagram
0: Mm -hmm. where there's two circles and there's a part that overlaps, DBT looks at that particular model with something called the states of mind. And in two of the sort of major circles, you have your emotion mind and your logic or your reason mind. And that place where they intersect, that dialectic, is wise mind. It's the both and, the pieces of the logic and the facts of the life as we experience them and the emotions that we experience because those are valid and they're real. Within kind of that space, trying to find a place to be better able to access our wisdom Mm -hmm. and that place of wise mind to make decisions and choices for ourselves from that space is really kind of the function within. And then from there, part of what you'll do if you do dbt is you'll identify your target behaviors now for some folks that's suicidal behaviors or self-harm for some folks that looks a lot like addiction Mm -hmm. for some folks they identify that they have these patterns of behavior maybe that's avoidance where we're sleeping a lot or where we're not taking our medication in the ways that it's prescribed or we're struggling with getting into these really painful dynamics with people that we care about and having that show up and present, really focusing on working on those specific targets. DBT targets those by this sort of four-piece model. In the DBT Skills Manual, there are four sections. And the first is mindfulness. And I'm going to just give a little tiny shout out to Emily Fry. If Mm. you haven't listened to her podcast with Sarah, I absolutely recommend that you do. Because she does a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job talking about mindfulness and what it is and why it's important in our work for therapy. Mm -hmm. For DBT, mindfulness is identified, I imagine it as a three-legged stool. So there's the stool base would be what, and that's what you do for mindfulness. That's observe. I have to notice what's happening internally. I have to be able to describe it. That's another one of the legs by putting words to it and to participate, to show up versus maybe kind of pulling back in that Mm. avoidance behavior or actively distracting myself so that I'm not present. There's also a secondary three-legged stool, and that's the how. That's how we participate in mindfulness. Non-judgmentally is a huge portion of the work within DBT. It's working to reduce the judgments of ourselves, the judgments of others, how all of that can crop up and integrate. It's also one mindfully, which you know in your work, especially within trauma, it's very important when being mindful to be fully present in this moment and focused on this thing Mm. versus distracted by the millions of other things that can take our attention during that time there's also effectively and so making sure that the things that we're doing as we're being mindful are moving us towards our goal because that word when talked about within dbt is this idea of like is this effective for me does this move me towards my goal is this helpful for me in that way or does this pull me back is this ineffective in some way and so goal setting and orientation is also really helpful within a dbt context
1: Mm. i like this vision of the stool. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of just visualize basically how the sessions might progress Mm -hmm. and how the treatment goes just using that object. What else happens in a DBT session? In a DBT session, in an individual session with a therapist, if you're doing what's
0: considered standard or full model DBT, there's an agenda for the session. And part of what frames that agenda is something called a diary card. There are just limitless options for what this can look like. But The research shows and indicates that if we wait a whole week when things are really tough to talk to our therapist about what's going on, we can forget a lot of that or misremember or minimize or sometimes catastrophize things that have happened. And so the function and the purpose of a diary card is as a daily check-in to really kind of think through where were my emotions this day? To what level or extent did I engage in or think about engaging in my target behaviors? For a lot of adolescents, Mm. because there is an adolescent form of DBT, there's include things about school yeah did I do my homework did I show up and participate in school was I actively avoidant was I trying to get into in school suspension to be able to get out of this class whereas for adults that can look a little different substance use is also often tracked on a diary card there's a standard kind of for it which obviously if someone googles you'll see all the varieties but it does become more personal based on what it is you're working on and then based on kind of what's happened in the diary card there's these things called behavioral chain analyses. It really breaks down certain scenarios or experiences to identify what were my thoughts, what were my emotions, what came up for me physically during this time, what behaviors did I engage in? And the idea being, if this happens as a pattern, how do we change the pattern? And if we talk about and plan for and discuss it together, we can find and identify ways to when the next time this comes up that I become upset or hurt or angry or whatever it is, I can then change my behavior for the future. That really, for the session, is kind of what that looks like, recognizing that within that are oftentimes discussions about the other three components of DBT. So we mentioned mindfulness Mm -hmm. already. There's also interpersonal effectiveness, and that breaks down to how to ask for what you want and get what you want without harming the relationship or losing your self-esteem. Oftentimes, when relationships are hard for us, Mm -hmm. the way that we'll engage in them can create further problems. Mm -hmm. Not because we're doing something wrong or bad. Those are judgments. Those aren't effective but because of the way in which we know how to respond. And so things like Dear Man, which is a wonderful tool to identify for ourselves and for folks around us, these are the things that I need. This is what I'm asking of you. And this is how you can help me. Also things like fast and give, those are tools, you know, one is around respecting myself and my needs and the other is around respecting the relationship. So I might use give when I'm talking to my family members or my spouse, and I might use fast when I'm talking to the telemarketer, right, how both of them are effective in different ways and I need to be thoughtful and cognizant of what's gonna be the most effective. Interpersonal effectiveness is a really rich section for folks who find that relationships are tough for them.
1: And just for clarification for the audience, Dear Man, Fast, Give, these are all skills. Absolutely. I mean, they're acronyms, right? Yeah, they're skills (laughs) that clients will learn in session Mm -hmm. and therefore can use outside of session when they find that they're not being effective interpersonally or they're having some other dysregulation going on. I think you started to mention distress tolerance. Is that another component of DBT?
0: Absolutely. So distress tolerance is how to serve survive this moment how Mm -hmm. do I make it through this crisis without making it worse or doing something dysfunctional and disruptive and how to live a life that may not be the life that I want it to be without being miserable and there's the dialectic Mm -hmm. again right where I may have to accept there are some parts of my life that are what they are and also can change and make things better for me or more hopeful for me and decrease my level of misery. One of the standard classics that is just often discussed, and this particular skill is one that I think has been utilized well outside of DBT, Right, is the TIP skill, T-I-P-P. And the T stands for temperature, the I is intense exercise. One of the P's is paced breathing, and another P is progressive muscle relaxation. And these are sort of this short, sweet acronym of things that I can try if I am in just deep emotion mind, deep distress, kind of if we think back to that Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. being all the way on the edge of that as far away from wise mind as I can be. Right. I don't know if you've seen Hamilton but I have. Hamilton, the Broadway
1: Hamilton show. Yes,
0: I loved it. So there's (laughs) a lyric from one of the songs that says, you can't put out the fire from inside of the house. Yes. And I think it is just the perfect description of why distress tolerance skills are so helpful. No firefighter runs into the middle of the house and starts spraying water, right? right. We have to be able to remove ourselves somewhat from the crisis to allow that distress to diminish. Distress tolerance skills, and this is important to note, they don't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. That's not their function. Right. They are literally just allowing us to make it from this moment to the next in a way that allows us to be safe. Recognizing when that distress drops, if we think of an emotional thermometer and we're at like a nine or 10 out of 10, you know, we're like the 150 Mm -hmm. degrees on an old thermometer, you know, if we can bring that down to say 90, I may not be comfortable but I can survive there. Mm. And at 90, I have the possibility to be a lot more effective with the other things I do to actually help me solve whatever it is that's created the crisis or whatever it is that's feeding that crisis and behavior. And so things like intense exercise can really like gear up lots of just great body function and lots of endorphins. And also by doing body-based skills allows us to pull a bit away from that edge of emotion mind brings us back a little bit closer to that center space quite not quite so black and white
1: yeah well it grounds you exercises exactly. grounding and so when you're grounded you're able to be more in that middle state that wise mind and you're not living in your thinking brain or your emotional brain yes. you're more centered so that makes a lot of sense Playing exactly off of that with grounding, we think about paced breathing or progressive muscle relaxation. Those are often skills that
0: all kinds of therapists will teach when talking about grounding exercises for folks who often will experience really severe anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. They'll talk a lot about different breathing exercises that can help calm and regulate that nervous system Mm -hmm. to pull us out of, in that trauma world, that limbic system Mm -hmm. and allow us to be so much more functional and healthy.
1: Well, and I'm just thinking about teenagers. Going back to, at the beginning, we mentioned middle school, high school. Right, And so <laughs> yes. how many teenagers really benefit from DBT therapy? Because of these components you're talking about, I'm just thinking about distress tolerance and mm. helping them get regulated and grounded yes. and breathing before they emotionally react. Mm-hmm.
0: So many teenagers. Yeah. And that's part of why the adolescent manual looks a tiny bit different than the adult manual mm-hmm. for DBT. Part of that is because in adolescent DBT, there's often an ask that parents participate Mm. because we all live in a fishbowl, right? Right. Like we're in the family together. If teenager gets dysregulated, the likelihood that mom or dad is gonna become dysregulated and frustrated or afraid skyrockets with Mm. them. This idea that if everyone can learn this common language, if everyone can learn these skills and practice them together, we have just tremendously better success at being able to function in a healthy way long-term. There's also this particular piece of adolescent dbt around finding the middle path which is a really great teenager way of saying identify the dialectic right but the sense of like how can we compromise can we come together in this way to be able to function in ways that are healthy and how often do teenagers get really upset about things like a phone yeah and it feels like the nuclear option immediately right and this idea of like how can i manage the distress around that in a way that allows me to be effective So by practicing these other things and using my distress tolerance skills, it allows me to calm myself so that I can be effective when talking to my parent about why I actually really do need my phone and how my phone can actually be a tool for healthy distraction and distress tolerance. Obviously, distress tolerance skills are not meant to be a crutch. They are something that we utilize in really specific spaces to help us manage the crisis. But I think thinking about too, going for a walk, watching a funny YouTube clip, scanning pictures of puppies that we saved on our Instagram files to make us feel better. Those are distress tolerance skills and part of Wise Mind Accepts, which is another DBT distress tolerance skill that can be really, really helpful and effective in bringing down that emotional thermometer so that we get to a place where we really can be more effective.
1: The thing I love about DBT is it is very Directive. Yes. And it's very skills-based. I've already heard you mentioned, mm-hmm. I don't know, half a dozen or more <laughs> skills already, maybe yeah. two dozen. And I know there's so many more. Yes. And I love that DBT just teaches clients, all these skills, and they can just pick and choose what they need in the moment absolutely. to become centered again. I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you about my favorite DBT skill, which is radical acceptance. Yes. What are your thoughts about radical acceptance and can it be used in light of what we were talking about, how divisive everything is right now?
0: It absolutely can. I think if it's okay, I'm going to share a story from my training. One of the trainers that participated several years ago was fully trained in DBT, talked about how their real test and practice of radical acceptance was around a child who had really significant special medical needs. Mm. The challenge that was really inherent within that, this idea of I don't want to accept this, I don't want to say this is okay. And radical acceptance isn't saying it's okay or I agree with it, it's fine. Radical acceptance is I know to what scope I can change this. And I'm working to do what I can to function in the ways that I am able to be healthy so that this does not continue to hurt or harm me. When we think about some of the just challenges that are so present right now in the world that we're living in, identifying, I know that you love boundaries, so I'm going to reflect (laughs) this back as well, but this idea of setting this just really firm and healthy boundary about what is for me Mm. and what is not. And those are challenging things to do. I will never diminish the difficulty that's inherent in that at the same time. They are so deeply important and so deeply impactful and meaningful if we're able to really lean into and to
1: use those skills. That's so good. That's so good. You're listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, and I'm chatting today with Amanda Jones, DBT therapist. So, we've talked about the different components of DBT. So Mm -hmm. far, we've talked about mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, Mm -hmm. and distress tolerance. And I think there's one more component. What is that?
0: So the fourth and probably one of my very favorites is emotion regulation. This set of skills is just, oh my gracious, it's so rich. Not to say that they all aren't, they are. (laughs) However, I just think- You love them all. I do love them all. You know, when we're really digging into this piece with emotion regulation, is talking about the emotions themselves and their validity. So often, we will get shame and guilt. We'll use them interchangeably when they're different. They're Mm -hmm. very similar and they're different. right? Or we'll think, well, my anger isn't valid. I shouldn't have anger and recognizing there are times when anger makes sense there are times when anger functions as a healthy emotion the question is am i experiencing it in a way that feels healthy or feels functional for me emotion regulation kind of on the big hole is how to regulate emotions that I do not want to have so that I can manage them more effectively and build resilience so that I am less likely to become emotionally dysregulated. Dysregulated is a really big fancy word to talk about feeling kind of all over the place when my emotions feel out of control. Mm -hmm. I probably have driven so many of my clients bananas with the number of times (laughs) that I will talk to them about ABC please skills. And to me, please skills in particular are the absolute bedrock of self-care when thinking about please and again this is another one of dr lenahan's favorite thing it's an acronym so the p and that l in illness so kind of mm-hmm, be flexible with this if you will is for physical illness how often when we're sick when we don't physically feel well for folks who are menstruating, do we recognize that shifts our emotional regulation? Mm. We're more quickly to become irritable mm. or feel on edge or to feel anxious in some way. Also acknowledging that within that, you know, if we go to the next letter of please, the first eat is balanced eating and how making sure we've had food or that the food we're eating is healthy and filling for us can impact and affect our emotions. Avoiding substances, if we're going for, whether that's a glass of wine on a routine basis or whether that's we're going for a little bit of marijuana or whatever that looks like, that affects our emotional vulnerabilities and our level to regulate. Also, things like sleep and exercise. Mm-hmm. They have such a huge impact on our physical body, which obviously is connected to our mental self as well. And where we're caring for both at the same time, we have such a better hope of being in a place of health. And that's kind of like a little... Bow around emotion regulation. And then acknowledging that all of the four sets work together really well. And you mentioned before this idea of kind of building a backpack or a toolbox of tools. And I'll use the phrase with clients a lot I'm not working on your lifeline. We're building a net. Mm. That lifeline will work sometimes. However, if it's the only thing I'm grabbing onto, it's starting to get frayed. I need to build a net of things that can hold and support me in all of these ways and more safely keep me safe, help me to be effective, help me to be healthy, help me to be functional in my life in the ways that I want to to build towards a life worth living, which DBT talks about a lot as kind of the major overarching goal. How do I build a life worth living? And these are some of the ways you can.
1: I love that. How do you build a life worth living? Mm -hmm. And certainly all of these skills can just lend to that you mentioned earlier about Mm -hmm. full model dbt so tell me a little bit more about that in the triangle here in north carolina you'll sometimes
0: see this concept of dbt informed which often means that this therapist has done workshops or study in the DBT skills. That's a smidgen different from the standard or the full model DBT. In the full model of DBT, there's a DBT highly trained therapist. There's a skills group, which is specifically focused on meeting with your group and learning, actively learning the skills, because then you take that knowledge and pull it back into your individual session. There's a component of phone coaching, meaning when I am in crisis or finding myself in distress, I can reach out to my therapist or someone on my therapy team for helpful strategies and supports to be able to manage through that in a way that keeps me safe. That's also really specific in, it's important to note, it is not free access to your therapist. They may be in sessions with client or they may be asleep and not able to hear your phone. And so recognizing it's intended to be more as a support to keep us in places of safety, but can be really, really helpful for that sort of in the moment need or that kind of like as this thing is coming up a way to manage it in a healthy and effective way. Also recognizing that if you're in full model or the standard DBT, your therapist is participating in a consultation group where they are themselves learning and practicing and continuing to explore and further their own work so that they can be the most effective with their clients. So that's sort of the full model and often kind of thought of from the client perspective as group and individual therapy. Right. DBT informed is an individual sessions. You may participate in group, but it's not necessarily required where the therapist has that skills and understanding. And that, I think, is something that's pretty... Pretty common in this space because so many folks have heard about DBT and have done some training in it that they can do a lot of that DBT work but may not be participating in phone coaching or leading groups or participating in a consultation group.
1: So that makes sense the difference between full model standard DBT mm-hmm. and DBT informed. There are groups, you mentioned there's groups in the triangle area.
0: There are. We even have one here at 180. Debbie Cloud is lovely and wonderful and leads a really phenomenal DBT group. I would highly recommend if folks are here at 180 or considering coming to us to talk about that with whoever they're meeting with and explore the possibility of working with Debbie's groups just because the skills group can sometimes feel a little awkward if we're not used to doing therapy groups, however have been proven to be one of the most effective
1: part of DBT work. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, any final thoughts about DBT that you might share with the audience? Wanting to acknowledge that DBT
0: if you Google it, can feel a little scary because there are a lot of discussions around suicidal behavior and suicidal ideation or this assumption that this is the model that they used in inpatient settings. Right. And there's truth to that, but there is also such a richness in the skills that are available. Having these kinds of conversations with your therapist or if you're seeking out a DBT therapist – asking them some of these questions about would I have to go to group if that feels anxious and maybe coming up with a plan for what that could look like or wondering how is this going to be tailored to me or am I severe enough to need DBT as something that will come up as well and recognizing that oftentimes I've found that DBT therapists approach therapy a little differently than some others do and some folks find that to be really helpful just this verbatim, unapologetic, non-judgmental stance of how to approach what's going on to figure out what are the parts of your life that feel difficult or are creating challenge and how they can support and meet you in that space to move to a place that feels healthier and more
1: stable. Thank you so much, Amanda. This has been a great discussion. I appreciate you taking some time to share with Triangle listeners and beyond about DBT therapy.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.